When I asked for people to tell me what they thought was behind the rise in suicide rates, I got three answers. Screens, everybody being together, but on different devices. That was number one. Number two was a sense of isolation. Number three, and as soon as it came out of their mouths, they went, actually, this is number one. And it was bullying. Everyone I've spoken to has a bully story. And yet, according to our next guest, there's no such thing as a bully. So to help us go through this mindset shift, please help me welcome to the studio, Kelly Karras. And Kelly, you're gonna to have to tell me if I pronounced your name correctly. So close, curious. Like Car curious, curious, or curious over the goal line. Curious. Oh, what a great, great way to explain it. Thank you. So Kelly, carry us into this land where there's no such thing as a bully. Because I sure want to know not only what this land looks like, but I want to know all the stories behind it that led to you discovering, creating, however this occurred. Because it's such a radical mindset shift. And I love those. It really is radical. And a lot of times, if people just look at the title, um, I get a response that goes like, who are you? How you clearly have not lived my life because I've been surrounded by bullies. What do you mean there's no such thing as a bully? And this is what I mean. We all use bully actions. We all use victim responses from time to time. It's sort of a pendulum in our lives. And one set of skills solves both of those. If we start looking at individual actions. Okay, hold it. I'm going to unpack this because I don't have context yet. And if I don't have context, I know my audience doesn't have context. All right. So, so let's, let's back this truck up. You said something, bully actions. Is that mm -hmm. was the word? Okay. Yeah. So I want to clearly articulate. We're talking about bully actions. And the other was victim responses. Okay. So now we're going to take the way back machine. Um, because... I think probably that's a universal idea, but what, what was your experience in that dynamic? Tell us a story. I will tell you a story. So about 20 years ago, I was hired um, as an advocate for 20 sets of parents whose um, kids were being mistreated by a teacher slash principal in a grade six class. Ooh. Started with one parent coming to me and it kind of grew over the next month. And uh, it was a horrifying experience. I was a very young social worker. I jumped into a private practice, eh, probably without enough experience. And this was one of the first things that was put on my plate. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we started... Um, you know, some kids got pulled out of school. We did um, protests. We did mail outs. We, we followed all the right channels before we escalated it. Nothing, nothing was happening. Um, at one point, they put a video camera in the teacher's classroom for the full day, but then we had an hour to watch it after school. 
before they would take the tape away. Um, so it was, you know, that was not helpful. And, and, and in all of this, I was watching myself interact with the school board and the director and, and other people. I was watching the parents interact with them and with each other. Um, and, and I was seeing bad behavior all around, you know, escalated emotion, bad behavior. And, and I started thinking, how, do, how can we expect our kids to do any better if we can't do better? And why are we? I got a question. Yeah. I need to know what the actual observable bad behavior was. I got curiosity here. I want yeah. So the, the observable behavior are what I now call bully actions. So this was things like getting in people's faces. I'm going to talk to you right here in your face um, and, and, and speaking aggressively. Um, it was making threats. Uh, it was um, it was yelling. It was name calling. It was talking behind people's backs instead of to their faces. All of the things that I consider to be bully actions. But yet, this was not a situation where you could go up to to any of these people and say, "Look at you, you're a bully," without just getting laughed at. Oh yeah, because this was how we got our points across. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so then that got me started thinking. Um, so there was this experience with the advocating for the first year of the situation. And then the teacher left and went to another school because that's how we do things. Um, and so that was really disappointing for me. And, and then I, I had a, a letter from a chief psychiatrist about a client that I had who had post-traumatic stress disorder from being bullied. And, and the letter said, this community is so bad for bullying, somebody needs to do something. Oh, well, here I am with the letter in my hand. So I put in a proposal to do a peer mediation training program in the school division. That was kind of all I knew at that time. And before I knew it, there was an article in the paper that said I was not qualified to do the work I was doing. I was banned from all of the schools in my hometown. Um, I, I was being investigated by my ethics committee and it just kind of skirted around saying I was a danger to children. So that wait, whole, wait, wait, wait a minute, hold it. Your microphone faded out. So <laughs> you've got to tell that story. It, 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 it skirted around not saying you were a what? Danger to children. Oh it, my God. It just like, it when, I, like when, I used to, when I used to tell the story, I would say, the article said I was a danger to children. And then I went back and read it again. And I was like, it doesn't really say it, but it certainly implies it. Um, and now I'm banned from all of the schools, including where my children attend. And so I, I spent that next year um, getting through the ethics committee investigation, which took a long time because the director started talking it. And then I ended up suing the director of education. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story really quickly. Every time you turn your head, we lose your volume. Oh, we yeah, me. Okay, so, so I'm going to invite you to talk straight at me and, and just tell me. All right, so Holy Toledo. Yeah. You, you ended up suing the director of education. I did. I did. And we settled out of court to the benefit of my lawyer. 
um, because I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to keep that going. That that's not my style. That's not you know who I who I wanted to be. Um, it was really a moral was, victory, even if it was not a monetary one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that put me on the path to actually taking all of these thoughts about what we are doing and putting them all together. Got and that it. is the start of the no such thing as a bully system. And, and so I say, we all use bully actions. We all use victim responses. One set of skills solves both. Got it. So it's not, and, and I'm just like going, oh my God. Um, I don't know if you know, but I'm a firm believer that when it comes to suicide, it's a war with two A's. We're all at risk. It sounds like your premise is we're all bullies sometimes. Yeah. Okay. If, if you picture a uh, picture, 10 people standing in a circle and one person's in the middle and each of those 10 people does one thing to that person in the middle. And now when I go around and ask those 10 people, are you a bully? They're going to say, no, what do you mean? I just did that one thing. But yet in the middle, we have a person who, who is experiencing bullying. Got it. So it's not that necessarily there's one person that's impacting us. It's that all of the little things that people do not realizing that these are the actions of bullying. Yes. And then in a, in a victim response, we, we can take on the words people say and make them our own. And, and so part of reversing those effects of bullying is really looking at what are those automatic thoughts, grabbing onto them, asking what's true about this, what's not true about this, what is another way of thinking about it, and retraining our brain away from them, wherever they've come from. Got it. So understanding the under the automatic responses that we have to other people's words, other people's actions. How on earth did you go from suing the director of education? Because that in and of itself is often a traumatic experience for people. And to, you, you walked away from it, as you said, to the benefit of your lawyer. Yeah. I mean, then what? Yeah, then what? Uh, you know, it, it was terrifying for me. Uh, I wasn't sure. Uh, I thought that I'd maybe ruined my career. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know if I was going to really bounce back from this. I was so young. I was, it was, it was the most stressful couple of years of my life. And so when that ended, I, I kind of, for a time, just set it all aside and carried on with my other things in my private practice. I was, I was doing custody and access assessments. I was teaching parenting after separation and divorce. So I was doing all of these other social work things. And, and it, it kind of had to sit for a little while while I healed from that before I could bring it back out. And to be honest, I've written uh, the No Such Thing as a Bully material for parents and for schools. Uh, and for certification, but I have a whole box of files with the actual story at, at the root of all that that I haven't written yet. 
And I know that that even 20 years later um, has to be a part of the, of the healing process that I work through from that experience. That brings up a really strong point that I'm not sure that people really understand, which is the real power, the, the longevity of the impact of a bullet. Yeah. Because between, the, it sounds like between the newspaper and the director of education, you were being bullied. I mean, you were being cease and desist this behavior threatened. And yet the behavior was in service to the kids. Yeah. And I, I'm like, what? Ah. so 20 years later, you're, you're recognizing that you've still got this trigger. Yeah, this is not healed yet. And yeah. so if you in the field, in this industry, making the strides in the realm of bullying are 20 years on this journey, you know, people need help. Yeah. They, you know, I mean, it's like, guys, we need to understand this better. And we absolutely must find a way to help everyone shift both of these responses, because I get it. The bully actions and the victim response are both traumatic to both people involved. Is yeah. what I'm sensing. And a lot of times when people are victimized, we don't give them anything. We, um, so, so historically in uh, sort of the social work helping profession, we look at somebody who has been victimized and we say, we do not want uh, to re-traumatize them. And, and, and I agree with that. That's hugely important. But what can sometimes happen out of that is we don't want to re-traumatize them so we don't get them proper help. And they're still in the same situation the next time it, it comes about. And okay, we're, we're, gonna have, we're gonna have to discuss what is proper help in, in, in your worldview of this because so many times, I think people just really don't know what to do. I know in my own family with my grandsons, they ended up being taken and put into a different school. So they were the ones who lost their social network, who lost their connection with their friends, who lost. They were the ones who lost and supposedly this was in service to them. Mm -hmm. And... I spent my whole life going from school to school as an army brat. I know that that in and of itself can be traumatic. So we didn't want to re-traumatize them, but what is sometimes happening traumatizes them in a different way. Yeah, it does. It does. And so, okay. So from my framework, from the no such thing as a bully framework, uh, the way that we work with people who've had those experiences. And you know what, sometimes a, a move from a school is necessary. Um, and so I never, um, I don't judge that when that's what, what people do. Uh, when you make that move though, or if a kid is staying, they need to be given strengthening tools as they're going through the conflicts in their lives. And the best way to make sure they have that, to make sure their parents have that. And that's why the no such thing as a bully material really is written for adults. It's written for adults to learn it, 
to incorporate it into their lives. And then there's activities given so that they can teach it to their children, whether that's in a home or in a classroom. And we, we need to um, role play with them. Okay, tell me what you're experiencing. Tell me, what, what do you expect that kid to say? What are you most nervous about? Um, and let's practice what you're going to say back or what you're going to do. So they need that active role playing. They need to be aware of what the heck is going on with their fight, flight, and freeze response. Uh, because a lot of times parents don't even know that. And so they can't, they can't share it, it with their kids to say, oh, well, this is a actually physical response you're having. It's oh, I get that. I get that. One of my daughters was um, robbed. Yeah, outside of a convenience store. And the fight flight response was so strong, it went to freeze, you know, and, and her, my husband at the time was like, you know, well, she's safe, they're gone, we don't need to do anything. And it was this, this frozen space for that lasted probably about an hour before I went, call the cops, duh, you know, um, yeah. And I didn't, at that point, I had not studied enough in the stress management realm to understand what had just occurred in my family. But what had occurred was an absolute space of frozen, you know, yeah. inability yeah. to take action. I totally get it. Hmm. Yeah. So helping parents understand that what's actually happening is such a huge service. Yeah. And you know, so that's it, all in that material. And I love that. And I know that we're going to be able to deep dive into this a little bit more. When did the idea that there's really no such thing as a bully take hold in your brain? Because you've just been bullied. Yeah. You just sued the guy for crying out loud. Yeah. When, I, when I started this, I could see that the strengthening skills needed to be put in place. Um, but when I wrote it, when I wrote the first piece all together, I was still using the traditional language. I was still um, phrasing things as bully and, and victim. And, and then I actually finished, I thought I finished, and I pushed back from my seat, from my desk, you know, like you do when you're so proud of yourself and, and look at me what I've completed and I've and I pushed back from my desk. And in that moment, I had almost like an electric shock go through me. And I, and I really felt like this was, um, this was creator letting me know what my mission was. And I knew in that electric shock, it wasn't like words or, or anything, but I knew in that electric shock that I needed to take the words bully and victim out as labels. And so I started again with what I had already written and just reviewed everything and rephrased it, taking all of that out. And that's when it became no such thing as a bully. That's brilliant. Um, I, I believe labels belong on pickle jars and not on people. And we are so quick to label. And, yeah. and we've had you know, years of it in the media where everybody and everything is being labeled. And labels are so limiting because they give us such a two-dimensional look at someone or at something. Yeah. You know, 
And they're useful because they allow our brains to absorb information because it makes it sound familiar. The idea that you were able to take the labels off and still keep the word in the work so that people know what it's about and that it's gonna be talked about in a new way. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many reasons, you know, even when I think about my own um, childhood bullying experiences and this didn't come out of that, uh, but this knowledge enhances my work for sure. Um, kindergarten to grade six, I was bullied quite badly. And then uh, I came back and, yeah. Take me back there. Well. When, when you are a little kid and you wake up in the morning and you have to step into wherever this person is or these people are, can you share that story? Yeah. You know, the, the weakest part or the saddest part for me was not feeling like I had the help of the adults around me. My mom was a teacher in the school. And so me being bullied put her even in an awkward situation, especially in the, in the late 70s, uh, early 80s this was, and bullying was looked at very differently. Pull up your socks, shrug it off let it roll. You are fine. You know, but, but I was waking up thinking, I don't know what to expect out of the day. And that was probably the worst. Um, because in, in my situation, sometimes people were nice and sometimes they weren't. And, and so there was no, you didn't really know what to expect, you know, every day. I got a label for that. I call it covert bullying. Yeah. 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 It, and it, it was very, um, very harmful and very hard to explain because because it doesn't make logical sense. It makes emotional sense. So when myself and my my two um, friends who were who were always friends through school, we all happened to wear white on the same day and nobody would talk to us and they called us clouds. Well, that doesn't sound hurtful. They called you what? Clouds. Cause Clouds. Because we, okay. we were all wearing white. Okay. So, when, so when you go to explain that to an adult, it doesn't sound hurtful. And it's not, it's not logical. It's emotional. No. It's the meaning that you assign to that. It's yeah. the action of they wouldn't talk to you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, so God. it was that sort of unexpectedness that was the worst for me and, and not finding the help from any adults around. You know, you're describing anxiety, what yeah. we now would call an anxiety response. Yeah. You were living and at a very young age. Yeah. And I think that this is probably something that's really misunderstood right now that we have a generation that is experiencing this level of uncertainty in their interactions with everything. Yeah. And, you know, kids will ask for help generally three times and then they figure it out themselves. And for me, that was coming back in grade seven. Uh, we had a natural break and a, and a switch to a different school. So for me, that was coming back in grade seven with a jean jacket and a pack of cigarettes and my fists clenched and I beat up a boy in the boy's bathroom and I was not bullied anymore. 
And when a parent says to me, and they do, when I, when I stand up and, and I'm talking to people, when a parent says to me, well, we have to let our kids, you know, fight it out. Sometimes that person just needs a punch in the face and then it, and then it stops it. And I 100% agree. I say, I say, you are right. That is a tool. The, the physical violence is a tool in the toolbox. And if that is the only tool we're giving our kids, that's not good enough. I loved the movie, The Bells of St. Mary, where the nun teaches the kid who's being bullied to box. And it ended the bullying. And they went off and the whole group of kids that had been standing around the bystanders and stuff, they all went off to get ice cream after the kid who had been the victim cold cocked the guy who'd been bullying him. And he said, he, when he picked him up off the ground, he said, I'm sorry, I had to, because you can't keep doing this. And you know, it ended the problem. Mm -hmm. And yet it was only one tool in the toolbox. I mean, the kid had other skills. He knew how to reach back out and say, you know, is it, if it's over, let's let it be over. Yeah. And which is another tool. Yeah, that's another tool. It wasn't highlighted in that movie, but it's what was visibly happening. And we don't have so many examples of this anymore. You know, that's not a movie that people really know about or watch. I mean, we're talking, you know, Fred Astaire, not Fred Astaire, maybe it is. I don't remember who it was. The, 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 uh, maybe Bing Crosby. It was a Bing Crosby movie for crying out loud. You know, that's prior to my generation. And yet it's a lesson that stuck with me ever since I've watched that movie. And the lessons that need to be taught now, the tools in their toolbox work for both sides of this equation, whether your kid is being bullied or whether your kid is behaving in a bullying way, we'll soften the language, you know, whatever side of the experience they're on, there are two, actually, I think there are four players and you can tell me if I'm right. I think that the four players are the person who's acting as the bully, the person who is having the victim response to, to use your language, the bystander, the one who doesn't do anything, and the rescuer, the one who tries to step in, that there's potentially four players. Would the skill set help all of them? Yes. Cool. I, I like this. All right. 100%. So, so even as I, I talk to people about this, um, it doesn't matter if your if your child is um, is experiencing someone using bully actions against them. Uh, it doesn't matter if your child's using bully actions. It doesn't matter if you don't see any of this in your child because your child's going to witness it. Your child is going to witness it. And when they do, they need to know how to be a good bystander. Um, and and so a good bystander, is neither the bystander who's, who's standing passively, and it's also not necessarily the rescuer, um, because depending on the motive and the technique that that's done in, it can sometimes be really harmful to be a rescuer or to be rescued. It's really about making everyone strong enough to, to just be able to say, hey man, that's not okay here, and this is what we're gonna do about it, and, and being really clear and that's again where all the role playing and the practicing uh, comes in 
You know, if you and I are standing on a corner and down the street, somebody starts uh, um, beating someone else up. If we have never been in that situation before, we are going to stumble. We're going to we're going to pull out our phones. We're going to look at each other. We're going to ask, what do you think we should call 911? What do you think we should do? Should we go over there? I don't know. Maybe not. Should we pretend we didn't see it? We, we're not going to have, we're not going to know, but if we have been trained and practiced what to do in that situation, now we just know. And that's what we have to give our kids. You know, it reminds me of the training that I took as an EMT. You know, um, not the not the EMT was too strong of a word for this, but it was the Red Cross. It's the the doing CPR. Yeah. You know, it's the the steps that you take when you witness an event and and you've been trained in how to respond rather than react. And so, what you're advocating is that everybody learn what to do when bullying occurs because it's going to happen. Yes, absolutely. I just think that the acknowledgement that it's going to happen, your kid is going to be dealing with this. This is absolutely the truth of every single conversation I've had with teens. Bullying happens. To not acknowledge this is perpetuating the problem. Yes. And to over-acknowledge it also perpetuates the problem. And so to that end, I provide a new definition for bullying with nine points that you ask questions about. And if all nine points are fulfilled, then it is bullying. Oh, I have to know what these are. uh, If only some of them are fulfilled, then it is something else. And we have to be mindful about what that is. So, um, the definition is that there, there needs to be somebody with a high value, uh, a high value of bully actions. And so that person is someone who wants control, who shows contempt, who has power over other people. Then we have, I might miss a few here if you're counting to nine. Then we have the, uh, the, the action, which needs to be harmful and repeated. And it does need to be repeated because you can do something harmful and then apologize and never have it happen again. And that is not bullying. Then there is someone with a uh, high value on that victim response. And so that person is feeling uh, vulnerable. They're feeling like things are out of control and there is nothing they can do about it. So if all of those dynamics are met, then it's bullying. But if maybe there's a fight on a playground with two kids of equal power and no one is having a victim response, um, that's not bullying, that's conflict between two kids. The skills in no such thing as a bully help with bullying and with conflict, but we need to make sure that we're not stepping into every one of our kids' conflict. We have to teach them and then let them develop those skills and handle it because those things that they experience when they're young um, to an adult, they seem small. There's a reason for that. It's because they're working up to the big stuff. So we we got to teach them with the small stuff. It was not understanding this dynamic of what was occurring when I was in elementary school that led me into what 
ended up being abusive marriages. And I didn't understand that connection. And the skills that allow me to have a highly functioning relationship now are the, I think, going to be similar to, to the skills that you're a big proponent of. And I'm sure there's a lot more that I could learn because I have a lifetime of actions and responses. So habits that fit into this dynamic of, we're going to call it escalating conflict for, for my brain to wrap its head around. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give my brain a label to hang on to. But it's like, okay, so I've got all of these habits. Kelly, now that I know that not everything I see that's conflict is bullying, what do I, what, where do we go next with this? I'm fascinated, obviously, because I can't even get my words to come out. And that's <laughs> a little unusual for me. So, <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say to the relationship piece, you know, as I was building this, I had the hardest time just saying, I'm going to focus on bullying because this is good for recovery from abusive relationships. It's good for just getting to know who you are. It's good for relationship building. And so I had to really narrow my, my market down. But, you know, the skills are, uh, they're cognitive therapy-based, uh, solution-focused therapy. I'm a social worker so, so and, a, and a counselor. So this stuff comes uh, kind of from the counseling office. And it's the, it's the things that you get when you go to counseling, but you're in crisis already. So you don't hear them as well. And I want that, I want people to have them before there's, there's any kind of, of crisis. So, you know, that's exactly the words that came out of your mouth. And I'm like, oh, I have to have you on the show because we're in such a pure prevention space. And it's felt really lonely to be feeling like I was the only one in the world standing up saying, guys, stop waiting for signs. That's looking for trouble. You need to have these talks, get these skills to the kids before you think they need them. Yes. And so when you said that, it was like, oh, when can I put you on the show? Yeah. Well, and since we first talked, I have also, um, of course, watched your TEDx talk, which is awesome. And I, um, I've started talking about having the conversation about bullying. And I, and I wasn't speaking about it in that way before. So um, yeah, I grabbed onto that and I was like, yep, conversations about suicide, conversations about bullying, conversations about all the things that we are uncomfortable about so we can figure out what we actually need so that maybe one day we don't have to have these conversations. You know, it's funny. That's exactly what we ended up doing with what we've launched. We just are in the process of launching team talks. And it's the talk to stop suicide, the talk to stop bullying, the talk to stop negative thinking, and the talk to stop self-sabotage. Nice. And, you know, because I don't think there can be too many voices saying that this can't, not that it has to stop. Everybody says, oh, we have to stop this. No, no, no. It's not that it has to. It's that it can People, yeah. it can, if you're willing to stop looking at the crisis and start looking at preventing it. Yes. That conversation about, um, what did you say? Inaccurate thinking? No. What did you say? Um, I said negative thinking. thinking. Negative talk thinking. Talk to stop negative thinking. Yeah. yeah. 
So in uh, No Such Thing as a Bully, I talk about it as inaccurate thinking and automatic thoughts. And that's one of the big pieces because your last question was like, how do we move ahead? And, and the, the, I think that one of the most crucial parts about moving ahead is to be able to uh, look at those thoughts and say, what is serving me here? And what is not serving me? What, what kinds of thoughts have I taken from other people that I don't need to, whether it's family members or, or um, bullying as a child or abusive relationships? And, and what I talk about is really balanced thinking. I, I hit a little bit on the positive stuff too, um, but you know, if somebody's feeling real bad to, to just tell them, oh, just turn that around and think positive is like a slap, right? Oh, oh yeah. Thanks for giving me something else that I'm no good at. I, that, is, that is just exactly what I needed. Um, little sarcasm there. And, and so we need to, you know, teach people. And again, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. It's one of my real hot tips. You grab that thought and you go, what's true about this? What's not true about it? These are, and they have to be facts. And what's another way to think about it? So if the thought is, oh, I'm such a big loser. Okay, that's the thought. Let's just accept that. What's true about that? Give me the facts that prove that you're a loser. No, not, not just, oh, well, I feel like, no, no, no. I want to know that, like, what have you lost? What, <laughs> tell me the facts that make you a loser. And usually people can't come up with a whole lot for that. And then you say, what are the things that show that you're not a loser? And here, if we're speaking to ourselves like we're our own friend, we can come up with a lot of things. If you have trouble coming up with things, then do it with a friend because they'll be able to help you. So and then what's, you take true, what's not true? And the third one? A different way to think about it. What's a different way to think about it? Okay. So now you're going to take the, the things that you listed in the first, in the, in the second and third piece, what's true about this and what's not true about this, and you're going to combine them. So let's say I'm, I'm looking at I'm a loser, and, and the fact is that I just lost a basketball game. I'm a 14-year-old. I lost a basketball game, and it was really important to me, and I, I fluffed a few things that I should have done. Okay, so we put under what's true about this, I lost a basketball game. That is factual. So now we look at what makes me not a loser. Well, I'm excellent at this, this, and this. I, these friends like me, I, you know. And now an, a, an alternative way of, of thinking about it is, even though I lost that basketball game, I know I'm not a loser because I am excellent at this, this, and this. And I have these people in my life that love me. I love some oh, processes. And that's a beautiful one that it just takes pausing long enough to do. Yeah. Does that process have a name in your world? In, in my world, I just call it balanced thinking. And, balanced and I need to, I need to um, give some credit because when I, when I first came across this, I was in my 20s. I had been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And I found a book called uh, uh, Change the Way You Feel by Changing the Way You Think by uh, Podesky and Greensberger. Oh, I don't and know that. They, change the way you feel by changing the way you think. Absolutely true in my world. Yes. Yeah, and it's a workbook. 
It's a what? It's a workbook. It's a, it's a workbook. And it has a, um, a balanced thinking process that is a little more complicated than what I just explained. I learned that more complicated version and then I just simplified it um, because my thought was that I needed to bring it to children. And in order to bring it to children, my belief is that the best way to do that is to teach it to their parents so that their parents can be listening for those thoughts. You'll, you'll hear them if your kids are having them. You know, you, you see them make a mistake and go, oh, I'm so stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if they're having them and you're, and you're paying attention, you will notice. And then you can go, are you stupid? Let's see. What's true about that? What, what a great, great way to intervene because the normal response is to make the kid wrong for thinking it. And, right. and the, when I say normal, I mean, what I've observed, what I think I remember I might've done as a parent, you know, is, is to go into um, what we now call corrective complex. And we actually have a sign for it when we catch each other at it in my family. Yeah, and it's the, the knee-jerk response to correct. And what that did was make it wrong rather than inquire into it. So I love this new way to go into it. If so, so here's the scenario, kid does something, makes a negative statement about themselves. And the response is, what's true about that? Yeah. That's gonna shock their brain because the brain loves questions. Yeah. Oh, this is lovely, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And I, and I see, um, I just see it working all over the place. Cool. So, you know, I'm going to make a, uh, a heartfelt suggestion that you invent a word to describe this process. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's just something powerful here in the simplicity of it. And while it's based in balanced thinking, balanced thinking is descriptive, but not inspiring. Not, you know, there's not, not a lot of juice. I mean, yeah. And, and of course I've been interviewing people who are experts in marketing. And so I've got all of these marketing ideas floating in my head and I'm like, you know, maybe something will come out of this conversation that'll get it started in that direction. But, yeah, I hear that. You know, this is just so much fun. Okay, so we're going to put a pretty bow on this for people. And I know that the, <laughs> we're going to call it what it is. If you take it personally, you're being bullied by the internet right now because no one can get to your website. And so that's a, a technical tangle that, that I know Katie's been working on with you. So if somebody clicks on your website today, we're going to give that to everybody anyway. But just know it's caught up in a tech tangle. So don't use it right away. Give it some time to get unraveled because uh, that's Kate. Untangling tech is, is thank God for Katie because she untangles mine. Um, and so we're going to give everybody that way to reach you. What will they find when they can actually get there? When they can get there, they will find a couple of, of downloads, um, 11 ways, 11 things you can do if your child is bullying, 11 things you can do if your child is being bullied. Um, I also have a, 
uh, gift for your folks called Three Days Strong. And uh, that is a, a fairly intensive um, to your email box three-day course that looks at uh, the balanced thinking that we've been talking about, um, also defining a problem and, and how we define a problem leads to the solutions. And we talk in there a little bit about anxiety as well. So just a kind of a quick grab for some of the main tools from No Such Thing as a Bully. And Ooh, then, wow, you'll also find information for uh, parent memberships, teacher memberships, and school memberships. And so um, with each of those, we're, we're uh, speaking with a little bit of a different voice and, and giving um, each person what they need. A parent membership gives ongoing support. So does the, the teacher membership and the school membership. With the school membership, we will take five staff members and keep them trained for two years so that they can teach the no such thing as a bully material to everyone in the school. And if somebody leaves, um, then we'll train somebody else underneath that same agreement. With the, with the parent membership, we are building a community that you can come to and get ongoing support from um, people who are using this material and other people who are having those same experiences as well as a copy of the, uh, a PDF copy of the No Such Thing as a Bully book for parents uh, and a couple of short videos to get you, to get you started. Got it. This is such an amazing thing, Kelly. I mean, what a huge, huge gift and a huge mission that you are on. And I am super, super happy to be able to support you on that. You know, it is so clear that you are such a strong voice in this space. Thank and you. we are happy to, one, I'm so grateful that you made the time to be on the show. And, and we are really happy to have this event and to be able to know that we can explore the partnerships for the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, because this is such a needed reframe in the world. To change how we look at bullying is to change how we are able to respond to it. Yes. The way we define a problem leads to how we solve it. And so whether we're talking about bullying, whether we're talking about teen suicide, whether we're talking about addiction, trauma, whatever, the way we define a problem leads to how we solve it. And so we have to make sure we are defining things in ways that leave room for solutions to be created. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for being here, Kelly, and for all that you are doing in the world. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. I appreciate it so much. <laughs>